Good morning, everybody. Everybody awake? Man, I sound a little sluggish, I've got to tell you. you got kind of worrying me. Merry Christmas to everybody and welcome to Greater Alton Church. I'm Tim, and it's good to be with you today. We're in a series of uh, lessons from Isaiah chapter 9. And if you do have a Bible or if you have a phone, you want to go over to Bible Gateway or Stay Light or whatever, if you want to read with me Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at some of this before we get into this lesson. We're looking at this this prophecy that Isaiah gave over 700 years before it occurred. And he's talking about a light. He's talking about a light that is coming. Uh, I want to read to you some from chapter 8 before we get into chapter 9, verse 1. I want to put it in context. I've never seen this popular verse about a child being born. And we think of Christmas. We think of this child being born. I never thought of Isaiah 9, 6 what the context of it is. And the context to me is so interesting because we see that the holidays weren't very happy for Israel at that time, so to speak. We were praying a minute ago with a few folks and and just reminded me that we say happy holidays to one another or Merry Christmas. And I know for some of us here, you know, and, and I can include myself, there's times when the holidays just aren't very happy, are they? Or it's not very merry during Christmas because this wonderful music and movies and the smiles and the and the the bells and all the lights are kind of a backdrop that kind of amplify what's not going right in my life. It, it kind of reveals that too. And so I know some of you here are dealing with that. You're dealing with the holidays bringing up. Uh, you'd love to be happy. You'd love to be merry. You'd love to be able to enjoy the holidays. But there's a little bit. There's something going on. And it's making it tougher to get into the Christmas spirit, we'll say. Well, Isaiah reveals the context here with Israel. They're going through a very dark time. In verse 19 in chapter 8, it says this, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony... If you do not speak according to this word, they have no, they, I'm sorry, they do not speak according to this word. They have no light of dawn, distressed and hungry. They will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Does that sound like a Christmas spirit passage? He's saying, you know, Israel, you're going into this dark, gloomy time in your life because you've rebelled. You've actually pushed against the light that I've been trying to bring. And because of that, Assyria now holds you captive. And after Assyria, Babylon will come. And after Babylon, Persia will come along and take over their land. And you think, you know, during the Persian Empire, they rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Things look a little better. Then all of a sudden, it goes from Persia to Greece. And Alexander the Great comes along. And then Rome is born. And so for 700 years, it just isn't really good for Israel. Why? Because they've rebelled. They've been fighting against God. They want to do their own thing and not God's thing. You know, whenever you go independent, you're going to pay for it, folks. Whenever you try to go out on your own, you're going to find out just how tough life can be. And God's wanting to give hope to these people. And so in verse 1 in chapter 9, it says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun. I think you've got another translation up there. And, and the land of Nephtali. But in the future... He will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. He's saying, just like Assyria who invaded and started this captivity off coming in from the north of the northern kingdom of Israel, coming into Galilee and Nazareth, there's going to be someone coming through the same way. And he's going to bring, instead of gloom and doom and darkness, he's going to bring his light. It says here in verse 2, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, when Gideon routed Midian, 
He says, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They're going to be heating their homes. They're going to be having campfires with the enemy's clothing, with the enemy's things will be fuel for their fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Powerful God. I think this translation says Mighty God. He'll be called the Everlasting Father, the Father who lives forever, and the Prince of Peace. That's how he describes this light here in Isaiah chapter 9. And the thing that I want us to see this morning is, is this passage we've been focusing on is in verse 6, when it simply says, this child will be born and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. We talked about that last week. Powerful God, Mighty God. Not a Mighty God. The Mighty God. The God of all. And and he also, he's, he's he talks about this idea of a father who lives forever, an everlasting father. It's almost like this ray of hope, this light that's coming to Israel is dealing with dark times in our lives. Again, wonderful counselor when I'm in the dark and don't know what to do. A display of God's power when I'm weak and powerless. A dad's presence, an everlasting father's presence. This is a dad that doesn't leave me. This is a dad that doesn't leave you. This is a dad that doesn't forsake you. This is a father that always loves you. This is a father that always tells you the truth. This is the this is what the child is bringing. He, he doesn't compare to your dad. Doesn't compare to my dad. Some of you here have dads. You go, it's no contest. And some of you have some great dads. I got news for you. No contest. This father is amazing. We're talking about that next week, and it won't even be Father's Day, huh? Wouldn't that be cool? And he also brings his peace, the peace that passes all understanding, this shalom. Now today, I want to talk about how Christmas brings the might of God, how this baby brings the might of God. That's why I'm calling it the, the mighty God child. Would that just sound ferocious? I know you got some, some of you parents have some kids, and they can be pretty rough, pretty tough. We prayed about that in our group. We prayed about children. They're so wonderful, so small, and they seem to have so much power. As a grandparent, my grandchildren say one word to me and they get their way. You know what that word is? Please. Want to go on a golf cart ride? It's 32 degrees outside, Nora. Please. I'm firing up the golf cart. And we're going out looking at Christmas lights. I'm going, what, what am I doing? I don't know. I'm a grandpa. And grandkids just have control. They they run the place. Well, this child here is called Mighty God. It's the the Hebrew word here is El Gabor. El Gabor, which literally means God the Mighty. Now David's mighty men were called the the Gaborim, and you can read about them in Second Samuel twenty three. I think First Chronicles eleven, if I'm my memory serves me, about these mighty men. And some, you know, there's books been written about the mighty men. Or, 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 tough guys, you know. There's the three, the three mighty guys. One of them killed, one of them killed 800 men. And this wasn't with a bomb. He didn't, you know, he didn't use a bomb or a machine gun. It was hand-to-hand combat. 800 himself. That's a pretty bad dude you don't want to have around unless he's your buddy you got a couple of guys who are surrounded by an army in the middle of a field. And they stand back to back and fight this army off to a standstill. got another fellow killed 300 all by himself. These are the Gaborim. Gabor means warrior, conqueror. Maybe today we'd say hero. I think Aquaman's coming out, right? I've been waiting for Aquaman. Everybody gets into Batman. I'm Batman. That's as tough as he gets. If he didn't have his utility belt, utility belt, what would he be? He'd be nothing. Like a carpenter without his tools. What's he got? What, 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 I'm getting feedback here. What? He would be nothing. He'd be nothing. Give it up. Superman. Oh, there's a guy. Superman, man. But there was only one problem with Superman. If he gets around kryptonite, he becomes very weak. 
we think of superheroes, we think of warriors, conquerors, things of that nature. But this word Gabor means with the most power. He's got it all. There's no kryptonite. You know, he's, he's got it all going. He doesn't have a utility belt. You take it away from him, he's powerless. He doesn't need a utility belt. He just speaks and it happens. He's not like Thor. Thor's a tough guy as long as he's got his hammer. Then you take his hammer away from him. He ain't that hot, is he? So, so here we got this. Imagine this for a second now. You've got this Gabor coming. He says, El Gabor, God the Mighty, God Himself. And how's He coming? He's coming as a baby. Huh? He's coming as a baby. That's how powerful He is. He can come as a vulnerable, weak baby and still be in control. That's amazing. I mean, did Jesus live up to this idea of El Gabor? Did He live up to the idea of being mighty God? Having all the power? Look at at this passage in Hebrews here on your notes. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. And catch this. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. The most powerful thing ever made by man was made by the Soviet Union in 1961. It was the Tsar Bomba, or the bomb. 50 megaton bomb is what they made. And they dropped this thing in 1961 near the Russian and Arctic Circle border. They wanted to make sure it was far away from everything. They, when they dropped it, they dropped it with parachutes so the plane could get far enough away so it wouldn't get blown up. I was looking at this, and if you've got a phone, you Google the Tsar Bomba or whatever, and look under images, they show a chart. I was going to show it to you. There's a chart, and it shows you just the magnitude and the size of this bomb compared to anything else that was ever made. This, this bomb, this single bomb, when it was dropped, is 1,500 times more powerful than the two that were dropped on Japan combined. You see a chart, uh, the, the Nagasaki and Hiroshima bomb, the bombs dropped on those two towns, maybe an eighth inch tall, and then you see this, the bomb that the Soviets dropped, and it just, it dwarfs it. You can barely see it on the chart, the comparison. The mushroom cloud is seven times taller than Mount Everest. And this bomb applies and applied the, the physics, I don't understand, I'm not a scientist, principles that, that are used by something we're familiar with. The same kind of Physic fusion, whatever it is, it's they use there, and it's and it's where is it at? It's well, it uses similar properties as our sun uses when it gives off energy. Now, to put this in perspective, this is the most powerful thing that's ever been made by man. Most powerful bomb. The sun emits two billion of these bombs every second. Two billion of these bombs every second. Now. When you realize there's a hundred billion trillion stars in the universe and counting, this bomb that man made isn't all that hot. It's the most powerful thing we've ever made. But compared to the sun, it's a drop in the bucket. And it says here in Hebrews that Jesus, the sun, made everything, so he made all these stars. But notice it says He sustains. He manages them. He keeps them going. That's a lot of power, folks. And I've asked myself something uh, on my way to church this morning, just thinking about how powerful this Lord is. Look what it says here. Christ, Jesus, Paul said this, Christ is the mighty power of God. I don't want to, I don't want to ignore this power. 
I don't want to refuse this kind of power. I don't want to make light of this kind of power. So just think about it for a minute, you know. You don't want to criticize this power. You, you want to cooperate with this kind of power. You want this kind of power in your life. Jesus has that kind of power. And was Jesus that way? Was he powerful? Well, he fed 5,000. That's pretty... No, I, I haven't fed 5,000. That's a lot of people. By himself. Feeds 5,000 people. He doesn't warn once. He calms storms. What the disciples said? They said, man, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He had power over the elements. He has power over the elements to this day. He gave sight to the blind, healed the sick, turned water into wine, and he raised the dead, and he did it all with words. What one guy say? Just say the word. You don't even have to be there. Just say the word. Okay. Word. On his way home, the daughter's healed. That's incredible power. No wonder people are going, all right, Jesus, you know, he's here. And they're going, Hosanna. And they're going crazy when he enters the city. And I've noticed this. I was reading all the words on power and might and mighty through all the translations. And one place in the gospel it says, everybody was touching him because they said, if we touch him, we'll, we'll be healed. And that's what was happening. Every time somebody touched him, in fact, remember that one lady touches him and he goes, stops a minute and goes, hey, somebody touched me. And the disciples go, hey, Jesus, everybody's touching you, man. What are you talking about? No, no. He says, someone touched me because I felt power go out of me. Now, well, I think it's just so wonderful. God is a generous God. He wants to give power to people. Isn't that awesome? I mean, was she worthy? Does that matter? Not to Jesus. He wants people to have power. He wants you to have power. But I've been a bad guy. He wants you to have power. But I've not been a great. He wants you to have power. But I've not been per- you, the, but, 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 but stop, stop talking. Stop making excuses. He wants you to have his power. He's a generous God. He'll give it to anybody who wants it. Anyone who needs it. Anyone who recognizes they need it. That's important, by the way. We'll see that in a minute. And I can see, no wonder they, the disciples are thinking, oh, this is it. You know, we've been waiting for this promise. Our people have been waiting through Assyria, Babylon, Persia. We've been waiting. Then all of a sudden, God got real quiet for 400 years through Greece and Rome. It's finally going to happen. It's finally going to take place. He's going to overthrow Rome. And does Jesus overthrow Rome? No. No, He doesn't do that. In fact, when you look at Jesus Christ, and you look initially how He came into the world, He doesn't look that powerful, does He? He is in an obscure town that your map, Rand McNally wouldn't even have it on their map. Now your Google might find it, but Rand it wouldn't even be on the map. Bethlehem is such a, a small, obscure place. He's born poor. He's born with nothing. And on top of that, his mother, well, she's pregnant and not even married. This doesn't look very powerful to me. Does it look powerful to you? And yet, folks, listen, the greatest display of God's power happens when he's at his weakest. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's crucified. And then he's dead. Now, that doesn't look very powerful. Yet God, Jesus, is so secure with who He is, He can be the weakest in the world and shame the strongest of the world. He does that. He comes out of that grave alive. Alive! Look what the Bible says here in Romans 1. The good news is about God's Son. That's what the Gospel's about, right? It's about God's Son. Jesus Christ our Lord, as a man, He was born from the family of David. But through the Spirit of holiness, He was declared to be God's Son with great power by rising from death. There was a bodybuilder one time on a talk show, and uh, he came in. I'm not a bodybuilder, so it's obvious, right? I'm building a body, but it seems to be growing right here. Anyway, he comes in and uh, says, hey, I want to introduce you to so-and-so. And he comes out and he does one of those 
you know, posing. That hurt. But anyway, you know, he does that. And the place goes crazy and he sits down and talk show host says, so, man, you are strong. What do you use the muscles for? And he goes, <laughs> gets back up. The ladies are, ah! The guys are going, oh. <laughs> They're going crazy. He does some more flexing. Sweat's beginning to pop. Veins are beginning to bulge, you know. It's really cool. Sets back down. Do I need to say anything? And talk show host goes, wait a minute. No, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> what do you use all the muscles for? He takes his shirt off. We know they're popping everywhere. Do all this stuff. Sets back down. The crowd is absolutely crazy. And he goes, okay, you've established you're strong. What do you use them for? And that guy goes, what's the sense of being powerful? I cannot even begin to describe the power of God. I don't do it justice. But I'm impressed. Not just because he's strong, because he wants to do something with his power. He isn't just posing. By the way, he doesn't want us just posing either. He wants us strong. He wants our faith strong. The world needs to see strong Christians. I'm not saying, listen, you say, what do you mean? You're supposed to be weak? Oh yeah. The world will see the strength and the power of God when we display our weaknesses. Absolutely. The world needs to see that Christianity is not a crutch. I remember somebody saying that one time, you, your God's a crutch. And the guy's response was, he's not my crutch, he's my iron lung. I totally depend on him. And because of that, I can do things I cannot do by myself. So what I want to do is, I guess I want to talk a little bit about why does God bring, or why does Jesus bring God's might to the earth? Why does He bring it here? Why is Christmas reminding us of this child who's mighty God? Why does He bring His power and might here? And why does He bring it to you? Well, let's try to break this down a little bit. Number one, Jesus brings God's power to meet my deepest need. What's your need? What do you need? What do you want for Christmas? I've had asked people, I've asked some folks that here this year, and they go, I'd like to have some peace in my house. That's floored me. I thought there would be, you know, more things. You know, what, what do you want or what do you need from the Lord? Can I tell you that He came here to take care of your deepest need, your greatest need? See, Israel's powerless here in Isaiah 9. They have no control. They can't, they have no control. They live, when, when a country in biblical times would come in and invade a country, they would separate your family. They would scatter the communities to the rest of the, the rest of their kingdom. That way they couldn't amass together an army and revolt. Kept them separate. They'd re-educate them. The Jews were affected by the Assyrian culture, the Babylonian culture. They, they had no choice. That's interesting. Their culture, their culture was forced on them as if they had no power. Today we live in a very free culture. How much does it influence us? And it's not being forced on us and really in, not like Assyria. Maybe peer pressure, things of that nature. But they have no control where they live what they, where they work. Uh, the laws are different. Foreign laws, different laws. But the, th- the thing is, this, this problem they're facing, this, this, this kind of environment where they have no control is deeper than Assyria. It's deeper than their, than the tyrants that have taken over their, their land. It's internal. The greater need is inside them. It's their sin. Because that's what, listen, they're having a hard time because their hearts are hard. And when you ever harden your heart against the Lord, you're going to have some hard stuff happen to you. You can count on it. And this is what's happening. You know, I, I gotta realize something. This, maybe the elephant in the room. You and I, we don't have as much control as we think. We really don't have as much power as we'd like to think either. 
Um, there's a story about a, a, a 747 flying over the Pacific Ocean. I think it was, I don't know where it was going, maybe to London or something like that. And uh, they're over the Pacific and all of a sudden the captain comes over. This is your captain. Um, just wanted to inform you that we've had an engine go bad. It's uh, quit working, but we have, we have four engines on this jet. And I uh, just want you to know the three will get us there. Uh, we'll be just fine. We'll just be an hour late. Everybody kind of goes, oh, okay, fine. A few more minutes go by. Shh, here comes a, this is your captain speaking. We've just lost our second engine, but not to worry. We have two more engines, and we're gonna. It's gonna get us there, no problem. Uh, I just want you to know that uh, we'll be two hours late now. A few minutes go by. You already know what's happened, right? Shh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, for some reason we just lost our third engine, but don't worry, not to panic. We have one engine working perfectly. We're just going to be three hours late, okay? Pastor looks at the other and goes, I hope we don't lose that fourth one because we'll be up here all day. <laughs> we just don't understand power sometimes, am I right? We don't understand how, we, we, don't, we don't have a good, we think we understand power and we think we have control and then we have, we get married, fellas. Did I, I'm sorry. We have children. We have grandchildren. We get older. The power goes out. How many of the water quits working? Why is it that when the water quits working, ah, I gotta have water? What happened? I was fine until the water's not working. Water. I get sick. You get sick. You get a pink slip. You find out you don't, you don't, have, I heard somebody say, well, you know, you, you the reason you, you enjoy yourself is because you have all the levers. And then he says to me, there are no levers. We don't have as much control as we think we do. Especially when it comes to our spiritual condition. We are totally powerless. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the consequences of sin, when it comes to the punishment that follows the consequence uh, follows our sin. See, I fall short of God, and my sin separates me from God. And I can't do anything about that separation. I am powerless. You are powerless. One time Jesus was talking about who could be saved, and he's talking about a rich man, how hard it is, and finally the disciples start asking, well, who can be? Who can be saved? And he says these words in Mark 10, it's impossible for people to save themselves. Can you believe it says that? It's impossible. But it's not impossible for God to save them. Everything is possible for God. See, I may appear to be able to take care of myself, but when it comes to my spiritual condition, I need lots and lots of help, don't you? And that's why, that's why Jesus came. Look at this passage in Romans 5. This is the Amplified Bible, so in the brackets it gives you kind of a, an additional idea of what he's saying. While we were still helpless, in other words, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time Jesus died as a substitute, for the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a good man. In other words, one who is noble and selfless and worthy, someone might even dare to die. But God clearly shows and proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, since we have now been justified, in other words, declared free of the guilt of sin by His blood, how much more certain is it that we will be saved from the wrath of God through Him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, it is much more certain, having been reconciled, that we will be saved from the consequences of sin by His life. That is, we'll be saved because Christ lives today. Praise God. 
He comes to take care of my deepest, my greatest need that I'm totally powerless to do. I don't know why you're here this morning. You may be thinking, you know, I'm glad God's here because I want Him to take care of, I want a new job. Or I, I want better health. Or I'd like to have, just be able to overcome this, this, this stronghold I have in my life, emotional or physical. And I want you to know, God, how do I know God has the power to take care of those things? Because He took care of the greatest need I have. And He takes care of the greatest need you have. And that's your salvation. He came to bring that kind of mighty power. So if Jesus has the power to help me with my greatest and my deepest dilemma, how well can He handle the rest? Amen? Whatever you're dealing with, He can handle it. He's more than powerful enough. He's more powerful than a 50 megaton bomb that landed in your marriage or landed in your family or blew up in your body because He takes care of our greatest and deepest need. Number two, Jesus brings God's power to fulfill all God promises. You know, God's promise, His promise list, I don't know how you are uh, making your promises good. Um, I broke several. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? If you if you made good all your promises, I haven't. You know, I'll promise you, everything from promising a pony, which was not a good idea to promise, okay, to I promise to show up on time at this thing, or I promise to be there. I broke lots of promises. I promise to be there for you or be there with you. I've broke promises like that as well. But Jesus, see, has the, he brought God's power, has the power to fulfill every promise of God. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. God, do you promise to take care of me? Jesus says, yes. Do you promise to protect me? Jesus says, yes. Do you, do you promise to always love me? Jesus says, of course, yes. Do you promise to always be for me? Yes. Do you always promise, you promise to tell me the truth. Will you always tell me the truth? Through Jesus Christ, to this baby who brought this mighty power. It takes a lot of power to keep your promises, folks. To keep all of them. That's a lot of, we'd say, willpower. And even with willpower, we fail. But with God's power, he doesn't. Every promise He's made. I've heard anywhere between 3,000 to 5,000 promises are in the Bible. And all of them are yes through Jesus Christ, through this mighty God child. That's why Christmas is so special. Because Jesus seals this promise. Seals every promise God has made. Look, it says in Ephesians 1, up here on the screen, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the wonderful future He has promised to those He called. I want you to realize what a rich and glorious inheritance He has given to His people. I pray you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of His power for us who believe Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about here? He said, man, I want you to, as a church to understand how awesome and powerful God is and He's going to take care of you because this church is going to go through the ringer in persecution. People are going to be beheaded and sawed in two and boiled in oil. Things aren't going to work out like they want them to do that day. But see, God is beyond the end of the day, folks. He's eternal. And when you follow Him, you follow Him beyond the end of the day at whatever happened. You go beyond that. And He promises with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Was that a good day for Jesus? What are you doing this morning, Jesus? I'm going to die. Bummer. Now He's looking at it. No, it's not. Not a bummer. Because this isn't the last day of my life. This is the last day of sin and its power over people. I'm going to keep going. And anybody who follows me is going to keep going right along with me. Look at it says here in 2 Peter, as we know, as we know Jesus better, 
His divine power gives us everything we need for living a godly life. What's that mean, living a godly life? Well, living a life that pleases God? Living a life you don't sin? Well, I don't know. Telling a sinner not to sin is like telling a grandchild, don't touch that. I don't know what it is about Ellie. She is a grabber. You know anybody like that? They just grab everything. We go to Roger's house, and, and already Nicole's going, don't be too hard on her. She, she's what? Yeah, I know. She walks up to the Christmas tree, ha ha! And I hear somebody go, don't touch that! Ah! Ah! There's some bright stuff over here, don't touch that! Ah! She is determined. That's her mission. I'm touching everything and I'm going to break something before the day's over. I'm just saying to you this morning is that, is that as we, as we look at this power of God, as we see this mighty power coming out, this child wanted to touch everything. He wanted to break a few things. The stronghold that fear has over you. He wanted to grab some things and break some things like the power of sin over you. But He also wanted to heal some things. Heal some things in your life and to remind you of the promises that He made. Have you forgotten the promises the Lord has made you? Sometimes we get so busy, guys, we forget. Here's the third thing that I noticed, and that is that Jesus brings God's power to help me prevail. Like I said before, Isaiah is describing this hopeless situation, but something is coming, and when it comes, a yoke's going to be broken, it says there in Isaiah 9. A rod is going to be removed, and enemies are going to be crushed, and there's joy again. Why? How? Why? Because God's people are going to prevail. His people, mankind's going to prevail. He's going to get us through this may not be in the time frame I want. Certainly, Isaiah's time, they're thinking, now? No, you're going to have to wait about 700 years for this to occur. Well, I'll be dead and gone, but you'll benefit from it. You'll benefit from it. And it's this child that turns it all around. See, I don't know all the details, what you're going through. I don't really have to know. I mean, honestly. We don't have to know. God does. That's what matters. And He sees what you're dealing with. And I want you to first of all know He cares about you. We need to remember this. He cares about what you and I are going through. And whatever you're facing right now, maybe it's a person, maybe it's something personal, whatever you're facing right now, it may look impossible for you to solve. Well, it is, and it probably is impossible for you to solve. But it's never impossible when you bring the Lord, the mighty God, into this thing. I look at a passage every once in a while and this makes me go, huh. There's a couple in the Bible they can't have children. He's a hundred and she's ninety. And when they're told in a year's time they're going to have kids, they, they both chuckle. She laughs a little bit more. And when Abraham says, how can this be? This is a... He said, this is what the angels say to him. The messengers say, is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to stop and think about that. What is it you're dealing with right now? It's hard. But is anything, is it too hard for the Lord? I'm going through my, I'm going through something right now. You know, I don't know if I can, is anything too hard? Is that too hard for him? Have you convinced yourself it's too hard for Him? Because it's not. It's not too hard for Him at all. But I've got to, I've got to tap into that power, see, if something's going to change. Colossians 1 says this in the Living Bible, We are praying too that you'll be filled with His mighty power, glorious strength, so you can keep going no matter what happens. Well... What's God's power do? Helps me prevail. Keeps me going no matter what is happening to me. I'll have a setback. I'll have a moment where I fail. 
I'll go through something painful. And I know some of us here are going through some extremely painful things right now. But I want you to, I want you to know, it's not too hard for your God. He is going, He's going to get you through it. You will prevail. Now the God who raised up our Lord from the grave will awaken and raise us up through His mighty power. Even when you die, the warrior will show up. The conqueror will show up. The victor is going to show up and you will prevail. Now how do I experience God's mighty power? That's a great question. How do I experience God's mighty power? And here's the answer I have for you this morning. I decide to live by God's power. If I want to experience His power, I decide to set my powerless life aside and, and take hold of mighty God. Look what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 4. It says here, um, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Did you know God does not bless self-reliant people? I'm learning this all the time. He will not bless self-reliant people. He only blesses those who depend, surrender to Him. People who, we would say, humble out. Look at this next passage. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. I've listen. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. That's what I. That's what I was expected to see. Humble yourselves under what the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. What's He saying there? Just to see if there's anything you and I have, though as powerless as we are, we have one thing we have power of, and that's of choice. And I choose how powerful God's going to work in my life. And there's this humble thing. We've been talking about humility. Uh, Alan and Gary and I, we've been talking about this idea of what's it mean to be humble and, and humble out and, be, and, 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 and have this life of humility. And it's, it is surrendering my way. It's surrendering what I want. It's recognizing... I'm just a person. I'm just a human being. I'm the created, not the creator. And I'm reminded over and over again, as I get older, you know, we get reminded we we have very little power, but as you get older, you don't have the strength that you used to have. Jim Quick said to me one time, you know, Tim, when you get in your 70s, you work one hour and you take two hours break. And I told him the other day, I said, hey, Jim, I've been doing that. He goes, you're only 61. I didn't know what to say. I just know as I get older, I don't have the strength. My sons will say, you need help with that, Dad. Here, let us do that for you. Or Denise will go, no, no, you don't do that. Let the boys do that. Why? You know why. What does that mean? You're old. You're getting older. But it's recognizing that. Recognizing that I don't have it all figured out. You know, more over the last several years, ten years, God's been just pounding on me. Tim, you don't have to do it all. Well, okay. Well, you, I don't think you understand what that means. You don't have to do it all, and I don't want you doing it all, and you're going to have to share the work with other people. That means you have to let them do stuff. I don't like that. You know why? Because that's control. That, that messes with my control. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You want control? And God's going, you don't know how to drive this. Just sit there and let me take the wheel here. Well, I just surrender. Humble surrender. Because when I do, then, then God is able at the right time, never my time, at the right time, He lifts me up. What's that mean? He gives me the strength. Alan Simpson, this week at the George H.W. Bush uh, funeral, I don't know if you watched any of it, it was on everything, every station. And I like Alan Simpson. He's a senator from Wyoming and he's funny. 
and he's and here he is. I haven't seen him on TV in a long time. And finally, he he uh, he it gets his turn to speak, and he was a very close friend of President Bush, and he says these words: "Those that travel the high road of humility are not bothered by heavy traffic." Wow. It's true. It's truly the road less traveled. It's crowded on Pride Avenue. Why? Why is it so crowded? Why is this road, this humility road so spacious and the Pride Road so crowded? Because I won't admit I'm weak. I won't admit I need help. I won't admit anything to anybody. I won't admit my limits. I won't admit my humanity. And see, as soon as I do, but if I would just do that, if I would just say, Lord, you know, I don't have it all figured out. I need your power. I don't have that. I don't have the power I think I have. That's when you begin to prevail. That's when you get stronger. Look what it says here. Finally, let the Lord make you strong. Depend on His mighty power. Now, how's that work? Well, it's recognizing it, but it's also taking some risks. If I want to depend on God's power, it means I'm going to do what He wants, do what pleases Him when it's scary. Do what pleases Him, what He wants, when I don't want to. Doing what pleases Him and what He wants when I might get hurt. Now, my wife is not in the auditorium. And many of you know we have a thing going on in her side of the family. And it's just been five years ago. 2013 was an awful year for my family. It happened to be the same year that Matthew and Brian were married. The only bright spot. The only bright spot. 2013 was tough. Norma dies in January. Bob gets remarried before the tombstone is set. And this causes a lot of tension in the family. It's a beautiful family. I call it the Mary Poppins family, and it's blown apart. We went to Bob's 90th birthday. I'm going to be as honest as I can with you this morning, and I know this could get me in trouble at home. I went to, went, we went to Bob's 90th birthday 90 years old, that's pretty cool. And we meet it in Kingsburg in a little dive restaurant that's just awful. And I walk in, there's Denise, and I see Shirley, Bob's second wife. And I remember all the way driving up, we didn't talk about what was going to happen. And I said, Lord, I've been praying like this lately, Lord. Kindness, Lord. That's what I'm praying. Kindness, Lord. Help me be as kind as I can because I've watched people get hurt in this family. You know, you get angry when your friends and your family gets hurt. You want to fight for them. I'm going, man, it's been five years of this quietness. Denise talks to her dad, but it's not the same. And I'm going, I'm watching the tension, you know, visualizing it. What's it going to be like when I get there? Kindness, Lord. Kindness, that's what I want to be. Just kind. Help me be kind. Would you help me do that? And I kid you not, Holy Spirit starts working on me. He says, sure. Remember something, Tim. Remember how kind I am to you. Because I've had to be pretty kind to you. A lot. Sure. What are you doing, Tim? What's going on over there? I'm uh, just talking. Talking to yourself? Kind of. Kindness, Lord. Kindness, Lord. She's nervous. I'm nervous. We walk in. I see Shirley. First person I see. And it's like I'm out of control. I grab her and hug her. Hug her tight. Not the kind where you go, I'm going to hurt her tight. I'm going to be kind to her. And here's Bob coming up and he can't talk. 
he's bawling so much. I'm so glad you're here. We set. Here's the family table. You're all going to set together. We haven't been around a table in five years together. Kindness, Lord. And I'm sitting next to Shirley. Kindness, Lord. We have a conversation. You know, Tim, I lost my husband. Bob lost Norma. We were in a bad place. And I know maybe we got in a hurry. I was like, I said, Shirley, listen, it's been five years. I'm tired of it. You know what I learned? Peace feels so good. It feels awesome. And I'm eating chicken. And I'm talking to her. Then the phone rings, interrupts it. That's another story. I come back. And I'm talking to Shirley some more. I talked to her more than I talked to Bob. Not because I was choosing that. I think the Lord was kind of arranging it that way. And she's telling me how she has to take care of Bob with this and this and this. And I go, well, it sounds to me like you've replaced, you've had to do what Norma had to do for several years. She goes, well, you know, he said to me one time, he said, everybody, I, I married the greatest woman in the world and then I met Shirley. And I didn't know what he meant by that. And I said, well, he was trying to be kind. He goes, well, I learned that, but it didn't sound too good, Tim. I said, no, it don't sound too good. And as she got up to talk to everybody, she said, I just want to say about this man, he's a good man, he's a God-fearing man. He, he helped me with my relationship with God and helped introduce me back to the Lord. And it dawned on me, some good stuff happening here. And I was glad, and I was so glad I was kind. Now, we've got still a long way to go on some things. But boy, I tell you what, we, we sure made some headway in that little restaurant in Kingsburg. What am I saying? I'm saying, Lord, I need your power sometimes when I don't know what to do. I need your power sometimes when I don't know what I'm facing. I'm scared to death. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we should be praying. God, would you help me? But then, when you get that direction from the Holy Spirit, you should do it, even if you're scared, even if it hurts, even if it doesn't make any sense. Because you'll experience the power of God. Now, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are today. But um, it's been a while since I've operated one of these. Let's see here. Backwards. Yeah, see, I told you. And I just, there we go. Oh my goodness, look at that. Woo! It's an Ori. You know they're good. A lot of you have been living in the power of God, man. You've gone around, you're growing up, you're getting stuff done, and you're just enjoying your life. It's just, I mean, I mean, it's really cool. Christianity can really be empowering. Cleaning things up in your life, doing all kinds of stuff. You know, it can be, it can just be a lot of fun. What happened? All of a sudden, I'm talking to this person. You were going like gangbusters, but something's happened. You were in ministries. You were in small group. You were sharing your faith. You were bringing friends to church. I've been that way too. What happened? I go through the motions. I'll sing some songs. But it just had the pop. What's wrong with this? There must be something wrong with... Yes, there's something wrong with the church. I snuck up on you. There's something wrong with my group. There's something wrong with my mom and dad. There's something... But we never go, Me? Who? Me? No, not me. But if I just kind of go, What's this? This is my faith. Been damaged, it seems like, huh? Every once in a while... And if I would just do some searching inside, instead of looking at everything else, maybe I'd find, well, what's this? For some of you this morning, this is you. What do you do? I'll just 
I'll just clean it up myself. Is that what you're going to do? Is that your plan? That's not very impressive, to be honest. You know it's, it doesn't work out well, do Right? I've got to find a power source. There's, by the way, God, as, as many orifices as we have, folks, there's no plug-in. Just to remind you, okay? I know that sounded crude, but it's true. There's, I can't make it work. I'll just poke around here, okay? Okay, you all saying? Well, oh, oh, oh! And this isn't that amazing. And and just like that, you're back at it. Have you been one of those kind of Christians where you, you know, you were, you were plugged in, you were really going gangbusters, but something's happened. You've got a little too far away from the power source. Plug got pulled. You still got everything you always had, but it's powerless because it wasn't plugged in. Have you gotten away from the Lord? Now I want to say to some of you today that haven't, look at this last passage. You've got to see something here. Some of you here need to see this. Look what it says here to Colossians. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with Him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now some of you here, you're not even plugged in to begin with. And you're doing stuff around here and you're you're participating and you think this is what it's about. Boy, this is great. I'm going to church. Tim's got to be happy with me there. Don't worry about me, man. I, I, I've got to, this is, I'm going to church and I'm reading my Bible and I'm, but I've st- I haven't got plugged in yet. And it's until I plug it in. That's not depending on God. Folks, that's not depending on the Lord at all. So I just want to say to you this morning, I don't know which one are your, which track you're in. Are you plugged in? I know it's hard sometimes being a Christian. I know it's hard sometimes doing what's right, what God wants. I understand that. Sometimes it can be very frustrating and some, and sometimes it's like, it's like the power's gone, but it's always been there. And you can have it restored to you this morning. Just make that decision. I'm gonna, I want to get back in my Bible, of course. I want to get back. I want to get more. I'm gonna be more enthusiastic. I want to. I see where I'm at, and I got to get. I got to find a way to get closer to God again. Well, how do I do that? Figure it out. Figure it out. Get as close as you can to God. Start plugging into other people. Get some other people around you that that are plugged in. I'm saying that way. Not saying depend on people, but I'm saying you need people. You need God, the rest of His body to help you. His church. And if you're somebody that says, well, I've never been baptized, Tim, but I, I feel in my heart that I must be okay. All I know is the Bible says that you trust God's mighty power at baptism. And I would encourage you to do that. You want to give yourself a wonderful Christmas present? There's a great one right there. Obey the Lord. I don't know where you are this morning, but God does. And may God bless you. To find this light that's shining here during Christmas to remind you He's a wonderful Counselor. And what a powerful God. And may He work powerfully in your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for all that You promise all that you've given us father some of us here you have just showered worked powerfully in our own life in our family and our friends and father some of us here that you know we're just wanting you to work powerfully maybe powerfully again would you begin father we humble ourselves before your mighty power We can't do anything. We can't be anything that even rivals Your power. 
Help us see how weak we are, how much we need You. You are our iron lung. Oh God, help us depend on You. Let this Christmas season, Father, remind us that You have a great purpose, offer great guidance, but You also have this incredible power that's at our disposal to use it. Father, I pray for families that can be healed today. You can heal some brokenness in some families. Father, I'm thinking of of Andy right now. And I pray, Father, You just bless him. I think about how just a moment with Your Son brings us into our right mind. Father, I pray You, you bless Andy. Bless Chris and Debbie as well. It's hard to watch stuff like that. And I know they're calling upon You to work. And I pray, Father, You help Elena as well as a sister. I know she loves Andy very much. God, uh, would You work powerfully? Help us see what we need to let go of so You can really go. Father, we plugged in. For those of here, we ask You, are we plugged in? Are we plugged into You? Or are we still looking for something? We're plugged into a car, a house, a career. The power that's on this earth, if there's anything powerful at all, it came from You on Christmas. Father, we pray that Your light will shine in the darkness in our lives and reveal our humanity and reveal how good You are that will cause us to surrender and depend on You. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.